Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Johnny FD with me. Johnny is a location-independent entrepreneur. In 2008, he took a vacation to Thailand, where he became passionate about scuba diving and Muay Thai. After his vacation, Johnny sold his house in Hollywood and his Lexus and returned to Thailand. After almost four years of traveling, Johnny was down to his last $200. It is then when he decided to become an entrepreneur. Let's learn how Johnny is building his location-independent business. Welcome. Uh, Hey, guys. And George, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, first, kind of just to clarify, I didn't actually own the house. I think most people <laughs> in the same position, you know, we have these leases, these mortgages. So we never actually own anything really outright. Uh, and same thing with the cars. I mean, I, had, I actually had two cars at the time. And just like with everyone else that lived in Los Angeles or, you know, it's kind of in the Western world, you know, we really kind of overextend ourselves. So even though we feel like we, we have a lot and we own a lot, and we feel like we are living this great life, this luxury life. In reality, uh, you know, most people are in debt. Most people, like myself, were, you know, we're really living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point because, uh, you know, they call it mortgage for a reason, right? Uh, you're supposed to take it to your grave, you know. <laughs> you'll, you'll own it. Uh, uh, you know, you won't own it for a very long time. So that, uh, thanks for clarifying that. And, and by the way, uh, thank you for being here on Success Harbor, Johnny. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, glad to be on. So in uh, 2008, uh, where are you right now, by the way? Uh, so uh, I, just got, I just got done traveling through Europe, and I just got back to Chiang Mai a few days ago, uh, actually to surprise my girlfriend for her birthday. So if Larissa's listening, uh, happy birthday, baby. And, um, <laughs> and I just, my original plan was to spend the entire summer in uh, Berlin, Budapest, and Vienna. But mm-hmm. after about three weeks of traveling around, I decided, I was like, you know what? I really like Thailand, so I'm going to come back. Yeah, that's interesting. I was born in Budapest, actually. I haven't been there this year, but I, I listened to some of the, uh, some of your. I read some of your posts and I some of your videos as well about it. So, uh, you know, I'm glad you traveled there as well. You know, so in uh, 2008 you went to Thailand on vacation. How did that? That's kind of the beginning of of the story that we're going to talk about today. How did that vacation in 08 change you? So when I was on the plane, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have, have read that book as well. But the difference is, I think I, that was my third time reading it. And the first, the first time I read it, it was like, oh, this is an interesting story, but nobody can really do this. The second time I read it, it was right before the trip. <clears throat> the only thing I really wanted to get out of it was to be able to automate and eliminate some parts of my life where I could leave for three weeks. You know, to me, going on a three-week vacation to Thailand was a really big deal. And I think anyone who you know doesn't own their own business yet, isn't location independent yet, might feel the same. We feel like you know leaving your job or leaving anything for three weeks is a big deal. And now, kind of fast forward, you know, five years, I, I go on three week vacations without even thinking about it anymore. But kind of going back to that initial three week vacation, my only goal was to be able to go and not have to check email and not have to you know stress about money or work. Uh, or paying bills for the for that short time I was, I was away. But while I was there, you know, I discovered scuba diving, I discovered Muay Thai, and I realized how life, you know, how amazing life is in Thailand. And instead of waiting until I'm 65 or 70 to enjoy it, why not enjoy it now? 
So, and uh, after that three-week vacation, you went back to L.A., right? And you kind of, how long did it take you to, like, kind of get rid of everything and then go back to Thailand? Well, my initial plan was to give myself six months to save up, to slowly uh, sell everything, to, you know, to figure out my lease. And after three weeks, I was like, if I don't go right now, I'm going to find too many excuses and too many reasons not to go. So... Straight away, I decided I'm going to book another plane ticket back, one-way ticket this time, and I'm going to get my visa for Thailand. I'm going to sell my stuff, and no matter what, I need to go right now if, or someone's going to change my mind. And what happened was as soon as I started telling people, everybody tried to change my mind. Nobody nobody wanted me to go. My friends, my family, they all gave me 50 reasons um, why I shouldn't go or what I should worry about. And honestly, Did you have any they, doubts at that time? Yeah, you have so, so many doubts and so many fears. And honestly, you know, I was very close to not, to not going because people would bring up things I never even thought of. They're like, oh, what if this situation happens? Or, you know, and a lot of the things, I, I feel like half of the people, you know, they really did have my best interest in mind. They wanted, you know, me to be happy and safe and, you know, have a job security or life security. But the other half, I really believe that they didn't want me to go because they were scared for themselves. Because if I went and I was happy and I was successful, what does that say about their lives? Yeah. So you traveled for for about four years. Uh, was that mostly in Thailand or where, where, where did you go? So I was pretty fortunate that when I started learning how to scuba dive, I realized it was pretty pretty easy to become a dive master. And what that is, is you're basically just a guide. You're like a tour guide. So imagine you really get into hiking and you you know you start really enjoying it. It's pretty easy to get the certifications to become a, a hiking leader. So you can take people you know around your favorite places. Uh, so I started doing that not only in Thailand. Uh, I did it on both both sides of Thailand. And then I started going to places like Borneo, uh, which is really, really good diving. I went to Australia, I went to the Caribbeans, and I thought that was the perfect life. <clears throat> I thought that was something I was going to do for the rest of my life where, you know, the, the world's a big place. And I figured every few years I would move to a different island and take people scuba diving there. But what happened was I realized with any you know, passion or hobby, if you're forced to do it as an employee, you end up not loving uh, that, that job anymore. And I, and I, I think that can be for really anything. Yeah, uh, by 2012, your primary income was teaching scuba, and uh, you wrote on your blog that you made about a 1K a month, which, which you know, sounds like went a long way for you. And then by 2013, you said uh, it was killing your passion for, for scuba diving. Uh, yeah. Was it just the number of hours that you had to put into it, or what happened? I mean, it could really be almost anything in the world. I mean, scuba diving is a really fun uh, hobby. But anything that becomes a job, you end up dreading to have to go. You know, imagine someone who wakes you up every morning at 6 a.m., no matter if it's raining or if it's cold out, uh, no matter if you're, you know, you're a little bit sick and you, know, you don't want to go into the water that day, uh, no matter how, you know, how stressful your, your customers are that day. You know, it's, there's some days you just don't want to do it anymore. And because, you know, knowing that you have to, to keep your job, to be able to pay your rent, uh, that is one thing that, you know, it, it almost sounds like I'm complaining about having the dream job. I mean, it really was the dream job. And mm -hmm. that, that's why it's, it's really hard to even voice it sometimes because it sounds ridiculous, you know. It's like imagine if I, you know, if your job was to drive Ferraris all day, 
that sounds like a great job. And yeah. you know, most people would, would trade their lives to be able to say, oh, yeah, I would love to drive a Ferrari every single day. But if that became your job um, and you know, you're forced to do it no matter if you're sick, if you're you know, unhappy or it's raining outside and you, you know, you're not just driving for yourself, you're driving other people around you know, like on, on tours, then eventually you won't love it anymore. And the problem was I was so stuck in that situation where I didn't really know how else to make money. I didn't want to go back and get another job you know, and apply, you know, even going through the application process of getting a normal 40-hour a week job again. I didn't want to have to move back in with my parents or have to, you know, ask a friend, you know, to stay on the couch while I look for jobs. I didn't want to have to grovel back and basically admit that, you know, this four years in, in Thailand was just a fluke and it was just, you know, it was just fun, but it's not sustainable. I, I really didn't want to do that. So I had to figure out a way where I can make money online and start my own business. So did you feel kind of a constant pressure uh, during those four years of, like you said, you know, what if I have to go back and get a job and then I have to face all those people that told me not to do it? Was there any kind of pressure uh, or or you weren't yeah. really worried about that too much? I mean, definitely. I mean, you know, part of me wanted to enjoy my life out there and know that even if I went back four years later and I, you know, I signed, you know, got another house, I got another car, I got another job, that I'd be in the exact same place as most of my friends because most of their lives didn't really change that much in those four years I was gone. But for me, at least I would always have those experiences of traveling the world and seeing all these amazing places. And, you know, it, if anything, it was still worth it. But mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. want to go back and admit that I failed, uh, you know, both to myself but also to other people. So it was a lot of pressure. So uh, by 2013, you started to make some money on the side, right, uh, from your from some advertising uh, on your blog. What blog was that? So I had a Muay Thai blog. I was really into you know, traveling around and checking out all the different Muay Thai gyms in Thailand. So that was myfightcamp.com. And that was, you know, basically it started out just as a blog for me to, to talk about uh, different gyms I went to and talk about the lifestyle. And I realized that, you know, just by, you know, even putting some ads up on there, I can, I can have a couple hundred dollars a month um, you know, from let's say like I recommend, um, you know, what protein to bring to, to Thailand to train or, you know, uh, if I put on Google AdSense, things like that. And there was never enough money to, to make a living from. But I think that's what made me realize, hey, I actually have a lot of visitors on my blog. You know, maybe I should do something to, you know, to monetize it. And that's actually when I decided to write the book 12 Weeks in Thailand. And that was basically just chronicling, you know, the first four years of my life of quitting my job and, you know, moving out there, living as cheap as possible. You know, I wrote, I wrote in that book how, how I lived for $600 a month and I, you know, I broke everything down. Uh, but I also wrote a lot about scuba diving, a lot about Muay Thai, and a lot about just, you know, cheap travel. It's almost like, you know, how I lived the four-hour work week. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, that's a Kindle book, right? Kindle primarily or also, yeah, uh, yeah okay. Well, you can actually, I mean, you can get on paperback as well, but most people buy it on Kindle or just a PDF. Uh, you can just get it at 12weeksinthailand.com. And how did you make the decision to, uh, you know, to, to make it a, a Kindle book as opposed to, you know, some other format? You know, actually, so for the people listening that want to make money online, don't, make, don't sell Kindle books because I was making a lot more money when I was selling it as a PDF, uh, as a guide through my website. 
I was, mm-hmm. I think, when I was, I sold it as a PDF, I was making about $600 a month from it. And as soon as I switched over to Kindle, it dropped down to about $100, $150 a month. And that's actually been pretty consistent. So it's, the book's been out for almost a year now. And on Kindle, it's never made more than $200 a month. Uh, while I know uh, for sure if I left it as a as just a PDF, as just an ebook, um, I would be making probably closer to $600 a month consistently from it. And could you reverse it if you wanted to, though? I could. And the only reason why I didn't do it is actually so I, so um, the reason why I even got into dropshipping or uh, is is basically because I, I was like, you know what, I'm not making enough money uh, through selling this ebook, and I can either you know reverse it <clears throat> and really just focus my efforts on it, or I can just think of something else. So. Uh, I'll get into that in a little bit later, but the funny thing is, a friend asked me. He said, "Hey, why don't you, you know, uh, start marketing your ebook more? Why don't you, you know, reverse it and charge, you know, charge more money for it? Because right now it's only ten dollars, and I was originally selling it for thirty-seven, and people, the same amount of people would buy it. So that's that's the main difference in the um, in the profit is if twenty people buy it a month at ten dollars, that's only two hundred dollars in profit, and if twenty people buy it at thirty-seven dollars, you know." I the I make three times as much or four times as much. So when my friend asked me, he said, why don't you switch it over? <clears throat> I said to him, I was like, you know what? Honestly, I'm making so much money through my dropshipping stores right now that it's not really a priority. And it's been almost a year and I, I still just don't even bother to switch it over. Um, mm-hmm. To me, having the book is almost like a passion project. Yeah, yeah. So um, by 2014, you started making money with e-commerce. How, how did you get started with that? How did you get the idea to start, uh, you know, to get interested in e-commerce? So I, I met a guy named Anton that taught me, I mean, basically, <clears throat> I just had dinner with him. And turns out I had met him how did you four years ago. How did you meet him? So I met him on the four-hour workweek forums, which are no, no longer exist anymore. So, you know, unfortunately, Tim Ferriss took that down a few years ago. And I think we we had added each other on Facebook, but we never we never chatted, we never really talked. He never he never posted anything, he never commented, and it wasn't until four years later when he decided to come to Thailand. He messaged me saying, "Hey, I'm going to be in Chiang Mai. I, I you know I see that you you know you're there. Do you want to meet up? You know, do you want to meet?" And I said, "Yeah, no no worries." Um, and I think at that time I was really interested in meeting people that you know made money online. And everyone I met at that time were were doing things like SEO or they're doing a lot of you know online services that to me wasn't really you know like it, like I know that those are valuable services and that people make money from it, but it wasn't something I wanted to do. I and why not? Why why was it not appealing to you? I think I have always wanted to have like something that you, someone could hold in their hand. So then that's why I made my book not only a Kindle book but also a paperback. Uh, honestly, if you buy the paperback, I hardly make any money from it just because it costs so much to print and to ship mm-hmm. uh, versus someone buys ebook, you know, almost 100% of that is profit. But the reason why I have the paperback is because to me, it's I'd rather have someone be able to hold uh, my book in their hand, have it on the bookshelf, even if I don't get paid for it. Um, and, you know, I still get like $2 from it. But it, to me, it's almost, you know, it's it's, it's almost one of those things where I'm just happy having a physical product out there. So I really wanted to get into the physical products uh, business, but I didn't want to open, you know, an actual uh, retail location. I didn't want to have to import products from, 
from China, you know, because I know how expensive that is. I mean, you know, normally to start something like that up, you need $50,000, you need a warehouse, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And at the time, I actually never even heard of drop shipping. So it wasn't until I sat down with this, with this Anton guy that, uh, and he told me what he did. I thought, wow, that, that sounds exactly like what I've always wanted. And for those who don't know, drop shipping is basically a business model where you become a authorized dealer for a manufacturer or supplier who they can either outsource it from China or they can make it themselves. Like a lot of my products are made in the U.S. and they have a warehouse. They have, you know, you know, they have employees who ship it. And what you do as you basically run a online store or website and you, you know, basically take orders. And then when someone orders something, instead of you going to your warehouse to ship it out, you just forward the email and they ship it out for you. So for me, it was perfect because it allowed me to sell physical products and be proud that somebody who ordered something from my website would receive something in the mail, you know, a week later and be happy. And they could take a picture of it. You know, they can you know hold it in their hand. They could sit on it, you know, depending on what the product is. And it, that to me, that was really fulfilling. And that's why I got into dropshipping. So then how did you decide? Because, I mean, the, there are so many different products that people sell and buy. How do you pick the products that you're selling? What 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 is appealing or what makes sense? Uh, so I mean I really didn't know anything about it. I actually it's, it's a little bit embarrassing now thinking about it, but I actually googled what is dropshipping when I after I met Anton, mm-hmm. and I looked on Wikipedia and it kind of explained everything. And uh, I basically I had asked him. I said, Hey, do you you know can you teach me how to make these stores? And luckily you know he was willing to and. I he you know told me the criteria. He said you know don't sell anything that's cheap. Don't sell anything that's under a couple hundred dollars uh, because it's the same amount of effort to sell an item that's three hundred dollars versus thirty dollars, and you have mm-hmm. to sell a lot more thirty dollar items uh, to make the same profit as a three hundred dollar item. Uh, and you know he kind of goes into so so price is one thing. What else? Uh, so it's, it can't be like a DVD or something real cheap. So it has to be hundreds of dollars. What what else yeah. are you are you looking at, or what else to consider? So the other criteria were you know uh, is it something that sells well online, uh, and it's you know literally either hard to find or kind of unavailable in stores. So if it's something that people can just go down to Walmart or Target to buy very easily. Uh, it's probably not something that people want to buy online. But if it's an item that there's not a big selection at Walmart or at Target, but they can, you know, so it's, but they can find a big selection online, uh, they're more likely to buy it online. Uh, so that was uh, criteria number two. And mm-hmm. then the third was um, look at your competition and see, you know, are they doing well and can you do better than them? So what I did when I got started was, I, you know, I made a a big list. I made a, I think I made a list of almost 50 products and I really thought about it. It took me, you know, about two weeks to, you know, thinking every day of like 50 okay. product categories, like, you know, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. I, okay. Okay. Like, 50 product okay. categories. Okay. And, you know, and what I really liked about, um, you know, about getting started with Anton, he's really specific. He said, he's like, look, make an Excel spreadsheet, you know, make, you know, uh, make a tab for every single product. And then every single day, you know, I want you to do research on it. I want you to think about it. And it, the funny thing was every single day around 3.30 or 4 o'clock, I would think of the perfect niche. <laughs> I would think, wow, this is going to be the best niche, you know, in the world. And I would be tempted just to skip the gym and stay uh, and, you know, and just work on it. 
But I would force myself. I said, no, you know what? Let me go to the gym. Let me think about it. Let me sleep on it for 24 hours. And then the next day, if I still think it's a good niche, then I'll, I'll look into it more. And I really feel like by doing that and not, you know, not going to getting ahead of myself, that helped me a lot as well. Um, so you kept a cool head. You looked at the price. You looked at some of the different, um, different types of products. Uh, what else have you looked at that you wanted to make sure that you were excited even a few days after you first thought of it? Uh, what else, what else yeah. was the criteria? Well, not just being excited, but also being able to generate add value. So I always recommend to people only sell products that you bought yourself or at least used yourself. Because if you know nothing about it and you just want to sell it to make money, you're probably not going to do that well with it. I mean, you might get lucky, but chances are you're not going to do that well with it. But if it's a product that you know something about, or especially if you've bought it yourself before, especially if you bought it online before, then you know, you know, that, uh, number one, other customers buy it. Number two, you know kind of the rationale or the reasoning behind why they buy something, why they don't buy something. And number three, you're going to be, be able to offer a little bit better customer support. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like now I have employees who handle all my customer calls, but in the beginning, it was me. It was me handling it all because I wanted to know what my customers were asking uh, and you know, what issues they would have. And you know, I think a lot of people, they, they think that dropshipping is such an easy business model uh, because it's so low cost to get into and you can manage it from anywhere. They, they think it's kind of just this overnight easy thing. But in reality, it's just like any other business where you, in the beginning, you really have to put in the time and effort to build a real business. And I yeah. think that's where a lot of people I'll- fail. I actually want to dig deeper there, but before that, can you tell me what was the first product you decided to dropship? Yeah, I looked into lighting, into lights like uh, lamps mm-hmm. and chandeliers, okay. and I actually still have one of those stores up now, um, but it's one of those things where I think it takes, it takes a while to, you know, to figure out what, what is a good niche for you, but also for, you know, like that you can offer value in. And I think the reason why I didn't, that store, you know, even though it's still up and it still does okay, uh, it doesn't make a lot of money. Is because it's I, I'm not able to provide unique value to it. There's no there's no real reason for someone to come buy it from me versus you know buying it from Home Depot or from Walmart or buying it from another website. While mm-hmm. my other niches that do really well are the ones that um, that you know I could really I really know a lot about and I really can provide good value for. So what are some of those other niches uh, that you're selling and you can provide value? What is it that you can provide with those that you can't provide with the lamps or the lighting? So, I mean, to be honest, I don't know that much about lamps or lighting. You know, I, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, Obviously, I've used lights. I'm sure everyone has, but um, you know, I've never, you know, I've never really built built my own house. I never had to install lights. I never had, you know, I'm not a decorator. I'm a designer. Uh, so when I sell it, you know, I can kind of just use whatever description that my my, my supplier had, had given me. Uh, I can try to make, you know, write something or try to hire hire someone else to write something. But at the end of the day, I don't really understand the market that much. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the other uh, what so about passion? Do you think you have I'm to be kind passionate, of passionate about, it. about it? Correct. Okay. Um, so, you know, some. For, so I actually have a couple of different stores. I, I normally don't talk about what all the niches are just because I don't want people uh, trying to come into the same space. But, mm-hmm. you know, with other ones, you know, those are things that I've actually done in the past or I've actually bought in the past myself um, and I know more about. So I can, when I write the descriptions for it or when I create specials for it, when I, even when I answer emails, 
I understand what the person the person is looking for. I understand what the customer is looking for. So it makes it you know it kind of just gives it that 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 touch. So let's talk about how long how long did it take you from making a decision? Yeah, I wanna I wanna do drop shipping, and I select a product. And from that point, how long did it take you to set a site up and then actually make your first sale? So it took me exactly two months. Two and months. yep. And it was and the only reason I know that is there is a um, there's like a members thread uh, in in Anton's forums. It's kind of just just a few private members for it and I remember just looking back to see because it felt like such a long time if it really felt like you know eight months or years had passed because you know I was so dedicated to it and at that time I was really I had my back against the wall where you know I was only making $200 a month from from my book and I didn't want to go back to having a normal job I didn't want to fail so I was like I need to make this work I had you know, almost no money left in my bank account, and I knew that I had to make this work. So it felt like you know months had passed, but in reality, it was two months of really working on it full time. I would go in six days a week uh, to either co-working space or coffee shop, and I would work you know eight nine hours a day, sometimes ten hours a day. And because of the time difference, I was living in Thailand at the time. I would have to sometimes you know wake up really early in the morning at you know 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning or I'd have to stay up really late after midnight just to be on US time zone just so I can call suppliers and you know get the approval mm-hmm. now you know everything's kind of reversed where for the last 3 weeks when I was traveling Europe I probably worked for half an hour a day at the most uh I don't take I don't answer any of my calls anymore and it's it, now it's really easy to maintain uh but definitely in the beginning I put in a lot of time and effort so how much money did you have to invest in your dropship business? I mean, you mentioned already if you want to import stuff, you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars. So it's going to be a lot of money. But, you know, this is obviously a lot less. But still, there had to be some, some investment. I would say in total, way less than $1,000. I would say $800 maximum. Uh, and that included, you know, kind of all the money I spent learning how to dropship, uh, setting up the, you know, my domain, my, my store, uh, you know, hiring a designer to make my logo, uh, like a lot of little things that, you know, add up here and there, but 100% it was less than $800. So uh, I know you can't talk about all the different products that you uh, you sell, but how many dropship sites do you have now? So I have three main ones that I focus on, but I have five total. So, so three main ones. So do you recommend if somebody is starting to start maybe like two or three different ones uh, to see which one will stick? Or you think it's best to focus on one and then see what happens? I think there's, there's two ways to go about that. Uh, if somebody lives in the U.S. and wants to create a U.S. store, I would, I would actually suggest starting with one store and being as niche-specific as possible because there's so many uh, suppliers out there, there's so much competition out there that you really have to niche down. Um, and the reason why I would say that is because let's say you just make a very general store. Like, um, for example, let's say you want to sell shoes online. You know, it, it wouldn't be a great niche for many reasons. But uh, if you want to sell shoes, if you also sold, you know, books and electronics and all that stuff, you would probably never do well. But the reason why Zappos did so well is when they started, they said, you know what? Well, you know, I know Amazon sells shoes. 
but let's do it better. Let's make it easier for people to sort by size, by color, what's in stock. Let's just focus on shoes. And obviously, they did extremely well. Um, you know, for many reasons, they had good customer service. But it was, a lot of it was because they niched down so much and they made it easier for people to buy shoes. So if you're going to start in the U.S., I would highly recommend just focusing on one very specific niche and working towards that. Now, if somebody isn't from the U.S. and they want to do a store in Australia or the U.K. or you know, really anywhere else in the world, I would actually recommend the opposite, where because it's harder to find suppliers, and there's not as many dropship suppliers in, let's say, Australia right now, uh, I would actually recommend doing a, a bigger, um, kind of like a bigger, bigger, broader range of products so they can sell, you know, um, sporting equipment, you know, .au or, you know, kind of something, you know, much better broader and that'll allow them to, you know, call different suppliers and really, really expand their product line. And then they can figure out, okay, what actually sells well? Do I want to niche down and maybe create a second store that only sells one specific item or one specific category of items? And do you focus on drop shipping for US customers or do you recommend trying international? I would say uh, drop, you know, start your store and sell to whatever your country is. So because you know I'm American, I have uh, U.S. bank accounts. I sell to Americans. If I was Australian, I would sell to Australians. Uh, so and just a, a caveat yeah. for that, just to let people know, it's a lot harder to find suppliers and get started outside of the U.S. Uh, but in the long run, I really believe that the potential is so much better. It's basically the exact same thing as if you asked me. You know, if I started with drop shipping 10 years ago in the U.S., it would be very hard to find suppliers and very difficult to get in. But would it be worth it? You know, heck yeah, because you would make so much more money uh, if you had started, you know, when there was when it was more difficult. Uh, so there's a trade-off. I would say mm-hmm. in the U.S., you could probably find your first supplier within two weeks. In uh, anywhere else in the world, it might take you a month or two months to find your first supplier, but at the end of the day, in the long run, two years from now, you're going to be much, much more ahead. Have you had any challenges dealing with suppliers uh, in terms of them taking you seriously that uh, you are uh, worth their time, so to speak? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I wrote about this a lot in my blog when I started out. It's johnnyfd.com. But in the beginning, it's kind of you have to make yourself seem like you're a bigger company than you are. Um, that you kind of a little bit more established than you are because when a supplier you know approves you as a authorized dealer they're looking for a couple of things first they want to know are you going to provide good customer service you know are you you know do you actually know anything about the product someone calls in or emails you are you going to represent the brand well so you know for example let's say you're going <clears> to <throat> you're going to drop ship um, USB microphones for podcasting if you don't know anything about it at all and a customer you know, calls in to says, hey, is this Audio-Technica mic good? And you don't know anything, you're not really representing Audio-Technica well because as an authorized dealer, you should know a lot about the product. Um, and the, so secondly, they want to know, are you going to be a waste of their time? If you're only going to sell one unit per year, you know, you're wasting Audio-Technica's time for setting up an account for you, for sending you all this paperwork, for training you. But if you're going to sell 30 of them a month, then you're definitely worth their time to you know, to spend the resources on. Yeah. So let's talk about traffic a little bit because, I mean, you know, let's say you found a great product uh, for dropshipping. You've done a good job putting a site together. How do you drive traffic to your site? What What are the most effective channels of uh, of traffic? 
So in the beginning, I recommend just using paid ads. Use Google Ads, uh, AdWords, the product listing ads. Use Amazon ads. Use you know Bing ads. You know basically whatever you could pay for, even Facebook ads. And that your goal in the beginning is really just to get a hundred visitors a day, or at least fifty visitors a day, uh, because. If if you only have let's say five visitors a day and you don't make any sales, it's really hard to tell if it's because you're they don't want to buy your product, uh, your optimization is not good, or is it just you don't have enough of a sample? But if you have a hundred visitors a day, for example, and the you know let's say you have a really bad conversion rate, you have a very standard industry conversion rate of one percent, you should make one sale a day. If you have a good conversion rate, you can make two sales a day. Mm-hmm. But if you don't even have that initial traffic, it's really hard to tell. Uh, so, you know, I always recommend to people, I said, you know what, S- just start with paid ads. And what's really cool is both Amazon and Google offer, and, and, and Facebook, actually, they offer $75 in free credit to get started. Uh, so I have links to all that in my resources page on Johnny FD. And just just start with that. And then if you do it right, you should make one sale from that. And that really kind of just not only does it prove to you that your products sell well, but also it um, it makes it easy to keep paying you know Google or, or Amazon a lot of money because it is expensive. I mean, people spend a couple hundred dollars a month in ads, but as long as you're making a couple hundred dollars in profit, you break even. If you make a couple thousand dollars in profit, then obviously it's a very smart uh, move to keep keep paying them for the ads. It's good um, advice to try to get that validation. So you know you spend a little bit of money and you know that it works, so you can kind of amp it up. Um, yeah. uh, that way. Uh, so tell me, there are so many people try dropshipping, right? I mean, yeah, 10 years ago, it was kind of new for a lot of people, but by now, a lot of people tried and a lot of people failed. So what are the reasons why you have succeeded? So I would say, oh, so uh, let's go back to traffic real quick. I just wanted to make a point is eventually you do want to get off of paid ads because, you know, there's other other ways to get traffic. Oh, yeah. Uh, please should... talk about that because uh, I didn't mean to jump ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'm, re- I'm really very interested in that. But so right now, I would say I still get I still get a lot of sales from paid ads, but I try to shoot for more than 50% from non-paid ads. So from the best, you know, the best customers are repeat customers or referrals. So I would say probably half or more of my customers are either people who bought from me before or they're recommended from a friend. So, you know, I really focus a lot on that. Uh, organic search um, is is okay as well. I don't get that many sales from it, but at the same time, I don't like to spend money on SEO uh, because it changes so much. Um, so, but I would say, you know, always kind of have a mixture. I mean, eventually, you want you don't want to just focus on paid ads because it gets expensive, and you don't want to you know go into bidding war for no reason. So, start out with paid ads, but eventually move on towards uh, other ways, especially retaining customers and, and getting more sales through word of mouth and through customer, you know, repeat customers. Referrals, uh, recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what about email? Are you doing any kind of email marketing? I do a little bit of email. I do, um, like, I have a Facebook page for all my stores as well. So mm-hmm. you know, things like that are not only is it free, but uh, a lot of it's kind of and here's kind of the caveat is a lot of stuff you don't really track. Um, in the beginning, I actually emailed every single one of my customers and asked them specifically, how did you find my store? And some of them said, oh, uh, my friend Bob at work told me about it. Or, oh, I saw my friend posted it on Facebook. So in the beginning, it's really easy. It's really good to find that out. And it's stuff that you could still do actually as um, as you go on because it's one of those things where – 
you know, the lifetime value of a customer is is worth way more than than what you what you you know than a random click like a one time customer. So I'd recommend that. But to to get to your your question about why I was successful and other people weren't, I really feel like <clears throat> it's a combination of having good people in my life that were motivating but also successful. I would say two years ago, I didn't really have anyone in my life that was doing well online. I didn't really I didn't even really know the term entrepreneur or digital nomad. I didn't know what dropshipping was. I didn't you know I wasn't surrounded by people like that. Uh, but I'm really fortunate that I really ever since I started my blog, uh, my second blog. So when I was doing my fight camp, I, you know, that was just me trying to live as cheap as possible. I was surrounded by people who are scuba diving or uh, doing Muay Thai, you know, which are great sports and great passions, but those people weren't making money online. And when I started johnnyfd.com, that's when I started really going out to network with people and ask, you know, ask people if I could buy them coffee or take them out to lunch so I could pick their brain and ask them what their businesses were. And that's, I I would say, you know, the first couple people that I met who really motivated me uh, was a guy named Kurt, who always said to me, he's like, you know, stop saying that you can't afford it. Ask yourself how you can't afford it. And he does SEO. Um, it was never a business I wanted to get in. But after meeting him, I realized I was like, you know what? People are making money online. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with with who you know and the network, the motivation, which is why when I started the Travel Like a Boss podcast, that's my whole goal is to interview people who make money online while traveling and are successful. Um, so definitely your network is is a huge part of it. Uh, okay. Second is actually writing down your goals. And I, and I know a lot of people talk about this uh, and you know everyone's heard that you should write down your goals, but that really helped me. I mean, I would say, you know, out of out of everything, you know, having a very clear definition of what I wanted and not only what I wanted, but how much I was willing to work towards it, that helped me so much. Um, Were these like daily goals that you would like write down every day? This is what I'm going to do, A, B, C, or weekly or monthly goals. What was the format? So I have a lot. So uh, under my recommended resources page, I have all the apps I use, and it, which is one is the Momentum uh, Chrome extension, and it's a free plugin for your Chrome browser. And what every day just has a new screensaver, has a quote of the day, and it has a place where you can write not only your to-do list but also what your main focus is of the day. So looking at my right now, I have you know my my screensaver is from Tokal, Spain. It's this beautiful mountain range in the background. Uh, the quote of the day is by Lao Tzu. It's care about what other people think. And you will always be the prisoner. So just kind of something to think about every day. And then I have my my to do list. Uh, you know, I have write the Vienna blog posts, which I just finished. So I can check that off. Write Budapest blog posts. Write a chapter of Life Changes Quick, and create a spec sheet. So the every day I can write down what do I need to do today. And then under the main focus of the day, I have write down uh, every day I write down what I want to accomplish that day. So my goal today is make eight hundred dollars. Who's my girlfriend? And Every day I, I write down a different goal. And it used to be make $100 a day. And even then, <clears throat> that was actually not always easy to do because, you know, making $100 a day online used to, to me, used to be a big thing. It used to be, okay, if I can make it $100 a day online, that means I'm making $3,000 a month, which completely replaces my old nine to five income. You know, that's making $36,000 a year um, at a normal job or 
even $48,000 a year uh, before tax. And to me, if I can make $3,000 a year, $3,000 a month uh, while living in a place like Thailand, that really allows me to have so much freedom to do whatever I want because the cost of living here is so low. I probably spend $1,000 to $1,500 a month in all my expenses. So whatever is left, I can save, I can travel with. Um, and I would say <clears throat> that was, uh, you know, that was my initial goals. And, and now I, it's it, at 800, right? Because you were kind of breaking up. I think you had a call coming in or something. <clears throat> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, now it's at 800. Um, and, and I keep bumping that up. So every time I hit the 800 for consistently, once I start hitting it for three days in a row, then I start bumping it up and it goes up to 1,000. And then, you know, if that, and the only reason why I actually lowered it a little bit was because I just got back from three weeks of vacation where I know I wasn't really <laughs> working that much. And a lot of the stuff that you do is is kind of, I would say, passive is as in a term, you know, and if I do something today, let's say, you know, I add 50 new products to one of my stores today or I rewrite descriptions for some of my products today. It doesn't mean that tomorrow I'm going to make more money from it. I'm going to make more sales from it. It might take one week or two weeks, you know, for, you know, for customers to start finding it, for Google to start indexing it. And these are things that, you know, pay off uh, a week later or two weeks later. And I think that's actually the hardest part for most entrepreneurs is doing stuff um, that even though you know it works and it will make you money, you don't immediately get money for it versus working a, a normal job. If I work eight hours today, I get paid for eight hours of my work. And being an entrepreneur, you can work eight hours today with the potential of getting paid a lot of money in the future, but there's no guarantee. Can you give us kind of a breakdown on what you spend your time on? Obviously, when you're on vacation, you probably spend a lot less time working. But like on a normal day, how do you how do you split your time? You know, between you know working and and, and what do you do? What what tasks are are like essential for your business? So it actually changes a lot, and um, it kind of depending on what my my goals and my focus is on. But right now, uh, okay. So right before I went on vacation, I was I was in you know, work mode. I said, I want to, you know, really ramp up my income. So not only can I automate a lot of things, but also I can make more money because I know Europe is expensive to travel. So every morning when my girlfriend would go to work, she would, um, I would go to my co-working space. I, I would go to this place called Pun Space here in Chiang Mai. And there's a lot of other entrepreneurs there. So it's a nice environment to work in. And for the first two hours, I would focus on my dropshipping stores. Uh, I would fulfill orders. Uh, I would answer emails. I would respond to you know customer service inquiries. So what that involves is basically if somebody orders something, I get a notification through Shopify, and I well I'll take a look at it and see okay does this look like it's complete or do I need to contact them for any reason? Do I need you know is there um, you know is it out, is it in stock? Is it you know is it profitable? You know things like that. And as long as it's okay, ninety five percent of the time it's fine. Uh, I just forward the email to my supplier and say, hey, can you ship this to this customer and then charge my credit card for it? If I have a uh, customer service email, um, I, then I'll you know, reply to them. And I used to worry that because we're in different time zones, I would not be replying to them until you know, 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night. And I used to use you know, different apps to, you know, like Boomerang to mm-hmm. send it the next morning at 8 a.m. But now I've actually stopped. I just, you know, if it's 2 a.m. and I reply to a customer... They should be impressed, right? Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't matter. You're a 24-hour business. Exactly, and you know, 
when they call in, you know, it's I have um, an American who, you know, picks up my calls, so they know that we're a U.S.-based company. Uh, and basically, if anything, they're happier knowing that there's people working on their account 24 hours a day. So if anything, we're actually providing better customer service than the U.S.-based companies because if they contact us during normal business hours, you know, I have my my customer service people in the U.S. who answer it, and if they contact me at three in the morning, or four in the morning, uh, it's the middle of the day for me, so I can get back to them. So I'll you know I'll answer their questions. And as far as uh, the phone calls, uh, I don't take any of my calls anymore. But what I do is I have my you know my customer service reps. They email me uh, a summary of what people called in about. So. I'll follow up. You know, usually it's stuff that they can just handle themselves. People just call in and say, "Hey, when is my order going to ship? Can I change, you know, the, you know, the options on on one thing? Um, you know, can I have second day FedEx shipping for something?" And mm-hmm. you know, th- those things they can handle. But if it's something else, uh, then that's that's when I I take my time to to email them back. So I so spend about two hours. Couple of hours on customer service. What else are you spending your time on? Uh, and then after that, uh, so I get, you know, I take care of all that stuff first because that's what makes me money. I still make the majority of my money through my dropshipping stores. Uh, and what's nice about it is for the rest of the day, I can focus on the things that I enjoy doing. So then for the next two hours, I'll, uh, I'll either write a blog post or respond to comments. I'll go on Facebook, you know, I'll do things mm-hmm. like that. And then normally in the afternoons, I'll do things for my podcasts. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll, do network with other people. I'll I'll record an episode of Travel Like a Boss, or I'll mm-hmm. edit videos, or you know, kind of things that I enjoy doing. Um, that you know don't necessarily even make me money, but are things that I think really expand my mind, expand my network of friends and of other entrepreneurs, and things I really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you gave yourself a challenge to have a million Thai bot in your bank account by the end of this year. Uh, how close are you to reaching that goal? So when I originally set out that challenge, uh, I had, you know, I think I had a couple thousand dollars in my bank account. And so a million Thai bot is 32,000 uh, US dollars. And to me, it was a really, really big goal. And to me, you know, having that wasn't just about having the money. It was knowing that if I had $30,000 in the bank and savings, that that would give me a buffer. So I knew that, you know, especially living in a place like Thailand, that would last me two years even. Um, you know, spending a thousand dollars a month that would last, you know, last me more than two years. So if everything else stopped, or you know, let's say I needed money, you know, for an emergency or really anything, I had that buffer. So that was to me my retirement fund almost, where I knew that if I had thirty thousand dollars, I can basically retire from a normal job, never have to work a normal job again, and I would always have a buffer where you know I can I can figure things out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and to reward myself, I was going to buy myself a gold watch because in the U.S., you know, when you retire, when you're 65, uh, the company gives you a gold watch to sim- you know, signify that you're, you retire. At least they used to. I don't think they do that anymore. Though. <laughs> I, I don't even know. If you they don't even get that. that. Yeah. Now you don't get a pension. You don't get anything anymore, really. Yeah. I mean, Social Security doesn't work anymore. So really the only way to, to fund your retirement is to have enough money yourself or have, um, you know, to have a business. So to me, you know, this was, this was my goal. And I was so surprised that I, I think it was a few months ago, I looked at my bank account and I was, I remember specifically, I was in Saigon in Vietnam visiting some friends and I was watching a UFC fight on a Sunday morning, which is Saturday night in the, in the U S 
And I'm sitting there with, you know, four of my best friends. I'm watching my favorite sport on TV. I'm having a great, you know, breakfast. And I just log into my my bank account just to kind of see what's going on. And I remember specifically that the couple of days before I had paid off all my suppliers. I had paid off all my credit cards. Um, I have no bills at home. I have no mortgage. I have no car payments. So whatever's in my bank is really just, you know, actual savings. And I looked and I had $29,998. And I was thinking, oh my God, I'm so close to hitting this. And then I remembered, I was like, you know what, wait, I have, you know, I have cash in my wallet and I have money in my PayPal account. I have, and I was like, I think I hit my goal. And I said that, you know, I just, in the middle of the UFC fight, I, I just jumped up and I said to my friend, uh, I think it was, I was sitting next to Anton, I was sitting next to, um, Shannon uh, is a doctor friend of mine. And I said, you know, hey, I, th- I think I hit my goal. I think I have, uh, I think I'm a time millionaire now. And immediately after that, I walked to the ball <laughs> and I bought a gold watch. And what's insane is it's still not the end of the year. And I've already hit my, my second goal. I have, I'm actually, I've doubled that in my bank account now. And a, if you asked me a year ago, I never would have thought it would have been possible. I never thought it would have been possible to even make $3,000 a month. I never thought it'd be possible to save up $30,000 in my bank. And now that I have, I think a little bit more than double that in my bank account, and I'm making way more than that, um, more than $3,000 a month now, and I'm able to do it location independently, it really shows to me that not only is it possible if you work hard and you, you, know, you set the right goals, but really anybody can do it because I didn't have any of this background. I mean, I didn't even know what dropshipping was. I had to Google it on Wikipedia. So I really feel like anyone who has the right mindset, the right motivation, the right tools can do it as well. Yeah. Um, on the uh, on the dropship lifestyle side, uh, I read that uh, you're making about 20k a month. Is that an average, or can you give us an idea? Yeah. So if you go to AntonMethod.com, uh, it's basically the, the site for dropship lifestyle. And uh, on there, you know, I think he I, I did a uh, a testimonial for Anton because you know he he basically asked me he's like, hey, you know, you're doing really well. Do you mind doing a testimonial? And I said, yeah, I'm I'm happy to. Um, so I think the screenshot that he put on was twenty thousand dollars in sales per month. That's not profit. That's just um, sales from one of my stores. Mm-hmm. And the profit for that is usually between fifteen to twenty five percent. I would say, you know, I would like, you know, my one of my goals is to make twenty thousand dollars profit per month. Uh, but it's, I'm not quite there yet because <laughs> that would be how, how much a, how much a year would that be? That'd be that'd be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm making quite a bit now, so I'm I'm pretty happy with my income. Yeah, and you know what I really like uh, what I really like about your story is that you're not trying to sell that this is a, a get rich quick or it's an easy money thing. Because what what really comes through your story is that you put in a lot of work. And I really want people to understand that because, you know, yeah, you make it sound easy, but you also make it sound realistic when you say, you know, well, I, I spend, you know, six, eight hours, you know, at the co-working place or I go to a coffee shop. So, so you, put in a, you put in a lot of work and I think people really need to hear that. Yeah, and I think that's why people resonate with my story so much is because you can go on my blog, you can go on my YouTube channel, you can go on, you can read my, my first book and you can see that, you know, a few years ago, uh, my life was completely different. I mean, I, I literally wrote, the whole book I wrote was about how to live in Thailand for as cheap as possible. So I was preaching, you know, 
the um you know get by with six hundred dollars a month <laughs> and now that you know i'm making eight hundred dollars a day you know living for six hundred dollars a month it almost sounds ridiculous but that's that was my mindset and i feel like you know if it wasn't for surrounding myself with really positive people who are successful, I would have still had the mindset where I would want to live as cheap as possible and just kind of just get by. And so I'm very grateful that, you know, I have all these people in my life that, that pushed me and motivated me. And that's why I really like sharing it uh, as well. And I was, and exactly, I tell people, I said, look, it's not easy in the beginning, but it's, it's worth it. It's, it's, it's so worth the effort that you put in because the definition of an entrepreneur uh, is somebody who's willing to take a risk uh, now for a potential gain later. And there's a quote saying that, you know, entrepreneurs do what people aren't willing to do today so they can live a life and they can do things that people can't do later on in life. That's great. Uh, now, is it true that you're working on a, a new book? Can you talk about that at all right now? Yeah, it's called Life Changes Quick. And it's really, honestly, my, my girlfriend actually just asked me this morning. She said, she's like, hey, I remember, you know, a year ago you asked me, I mean, uh, she asked me uh, if I would write another book. And I said, no way. And she asked me why. I said, because it's, it's, it takes so much time to write a book and it's just not worth it uh, financially. Because the amount of effort I wrote, I took into writing 12 Weeks of Thailand, you know, even though it pays me $150 a month in, in passive income, it's not worth my time because in those you know four months it took to write that book, I could have just created another job shipping store and I could have made you know ten times that amount of money. But so why did I decide to write Life Changes Quick? Is really just because I really feel like this year of my life things changed so quickly, not just financially, but um, if if exactly a year ago you know I didn't have any money in my bank account. I you know I was really out of shape. I was you know if you look at photos or my old. Um, you know, my old YouTube videos, you could see I was really out of shape. I was very unhappy. You know, I was always tired. Uh, I was single. I didn't have a girlfriend. And now my, my entire life is, is, has changed. You know, I have the most incredible girlfriend in the world. I get to travel. I have enough money coming in where I can not only you know, support myself, but I can start, you know, supporting my parents as well. Um, I can start, you know, doing things where I really enjoy. And, you know, those are, those are some of the bigger goals I never even thought were possible. Like my, one of my goals is, for next year, I don't want to just go to Europe for myself. I want to be able to afford to send my parents to Europe too, because if it wasn't for that, I don't know if they would ever be able to go, you know, and, you know, this year I, I want to pay for their, um, for their income tax, you know, uh, not their income tax, their property tax for the year, because I know that's a big stress for them. And I want to be able to, you know, just enjoy life. And mm -hmm. I really feel like in one year, if someone really dedicates themselves and, you know, I write about it in my books. It's, it is, even though in the short interview, it sounds like, oh, you know, his life changed, you know, pretty, fa pretty fast. It only took two months to start making a profitable store. Let me just do it as well. But in reality, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of times that you, you know, you fear your own success or you become demotivated or, you know, you start doubting yourself. And I really feel like, you know, by writing this book and putting it out there, it might help some other people get over that as well. That's great. That's great. Uh, when you're done with that, check back with me because uh, I want to. I want a link to it from the show notes. How can that. how can people connect with you or find out more about you? The easiest way is go to my blog. It's johnnyfd.com. Um, the if you want to listen to my podcast, it's Travel Like a Boss podcast, and 
uh, you can find me on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, you can everywhere I hang out. But I would say start my blog. I have links to everything on there. Sounds good, Johnny. I, again, uh, I really appreciate you sharing this story. It, it sounds really, it just sounds true. And I think people need to hear that. And I, I appreciate you coming on Success Harbor and sharing it. And everybody out there, go and check out johnnyfd.com and say hi to Johnny. Thank you. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Bye, everyone.